Welcome to the Farcast, coming to you every week with insiders and experts to give you insight into the changing economic world. And now, here's your host, Michael Farr. Welcome to the Farcast. I am Michael Farr. Thanks so much for joining us again this week. We have so much to talk about. Democratic debates last night, markets, coronavirus, Larry Kudlow, the president, uh, and uh, a whole lot more. On the forecast, remember that we believe that money is hard to make, that old-fashioned hard work, research, diligence, and discipline are the keys to successful investing. And above all, that emotion is the foe of the long-term investor. And please, ladies and gentlemen, remember this more now than ever because we're getting into one of those scary times uh, that uh, emotion is not your friend. If you're feeling scared that you have to do something, go back to your discipline. Go back and say, why am I an investor? Am I a long-term investor? Uh, and do I still have a long-term to remain invested? Uh, you can define that as uh, certainly at least three years, probably at least five years. Uh, mine continues to be longer. And I know that markets go down. And I know that there are days that feel absolutely awful. And that when you listen to all of the headlines, uh, you think, well, the world's coming to an end. And we've heard uh, those headlines before. Uh, we've had those feelings of the imminent uh, end of all things and all time, and yet none have ended. The world continues on apace. One of my uh, favorite poems is uh, The Desiderata, and there are two lines from The Desiderata, ladies and gentlemen, that I uh, remind myself of very often. Uh, the first is, beyond a wholesome discipline, be gentle with yourself. Beyond a wholesome discipline, be gentle with yourself. And the second is, and this might be my favorite of all, uh, whether it's evident or not to you, the universe is probably unfolding as it should. <laughs> Don't you love that? <laughs> whether, whether it's evident or not to you, the universe is probably unfolding as it should. So uh, as uh, much as I like to be a control freak, there are certain things that I have to just sort of throw up my hands and say, well, I can't do anything about this. It's all going to go the way it's going to go. And that really does apply to markets most of the time. I try to position uh, myself in a, about as wise a position as I can. I've always remained defensive. And as we have counseled you from the forecast for the past number of years now, we, we encourage you uh, not to venture out into the thin branches of risk. We have been telling you for some time that markets were trading at all-time highs and that you needed uh, to be safe and that you shouldn't worry about how much money people were making in Tesla and Netflix uh, just because the damn things were going up. Rather, we suggested that you own things with solid balance sheets and not too much debt that were defensive and that had real products, real profits, and strong management. Well, uh, I'm giving that advice again because I don't think that this downturn is over. Let's talk about coronavirus for a minute. Let's, we've, we've had medical experts on. Uh, I spoke with a past CEO of GlaxoSmithKline Pharmaceutical Company yesterday. 
one of the smartest men that I've ever met about coronavirus and his expectations. I'll share those with you in a minute. But we have a supply chain problem. People are not going to the factories to make the knobs that we need for radios, uh, for glove compartments. Uh, we don't have the bits to make cars here in this country. They don't have bits to make cars in other countries either. In South Korea, the largest manufacturing car manufacturer in the world has a Kia plant. They manufacture over almost 1.3 million cars a year. That's over uh, 100,000 cars a month. They've been closed for three weeks, shut down. South Korea now is moving into this epidemic, pandemic stage of this disease. Cars aren't being manufactured. At some point, those people who work at that car factory, how many do you think work at a car factory necessary to manufacture 1.3 million cars a year? Those people will not be getting paid. They won't have money to go to the store. In China, one-third of the workers in China are migratory. They move around to where they're needed. They are not moving anywhere in China. So the longer that it takes, I said this on CNBC today, uh, yesterday, I have uh, posted those comments to my Facebook page. Uh, Harry, we're going to put them out on social media, aren't we, suggesting that... Uh, Perhaps the risk of recession is back on the table. There will be a link. Uh, there will be a link on our Twitter this morning, uh, and probably I'll probably repeat it a couple of times this week because it's it's things that people need to hear. This isn't going away anytime soon. This isn't going away anytime soon. So uh, while people are expecting a V bottom, our friend Mohammed El Arian, fabulous economist, and he's so articulate and talk about smart. Uh, Mohammed El Arian said. I'm going to caution you not to buy the dips. We've been so conditioned, ladies and gentlemen, to buy the dips. Don't do that right now. Now, this is my sense. Uh, I agree with Mohammed El Arian. Some of what I am saying is intuition. But at the beginning of January, I shared with you conversations I had from a dinner in Washington where Ford had said that the, they were going to shutter production because they couldn't get parts, that Tim Cook uh, talked about supply chain problems, that uh, uh, GM and others were having the same issues. Think about this for one second. Boeing is having, uh, we're not talking about Boeing anymore, right, because there are other louder headlines. And boy, doesn't it just wear you out to live in a world where the you go from a headline like Boeing and the crisis of the 737 MAX and these planes that were crashing and things that weren't retooled and maybe wrongdoing on the part of Boeing that could take three to four tenths of a percent away from first quarter GDP, right? Those sorts of little minuscule headlines are now being drowned out. I mean, now we have worse headlines. It's, it seems like a cycle that we've been living through for the past few years. I'm really ready for it to stop and go back to more boring times. But, uh, dear listeners, if Boeing, Boeing, just Boeing, can reduce first quarter GDP growth by three to four tenths of a percent, what do you think a shutdown in Ford and GM are going to do? What do you think a cessation of flights to China from Delta, American, United, and British Airways is going to do. What do you think about, uh, how, how do you think you feel about signing up for a cruise or going to a hotel in Europe? Um, we have cases of now of coronavirus in Brazil. 
uh, in uh, Italy is a, a bigger problem. So when I spoke with the past chair uh, of GlaxoSmithKline, he said, look, this disease is like the flu. Think about this as the flu. We have flu every year. We can't stop the flu. We've never been able to stop the flu. Thousands of people die every year from the flu, and nobody gets overly excited about it. We have a vaccine. This, we're not going to have a vaccine very quickly uh, for this disease. There's one that's sort of promising that could happen a little bit more quickly. Uh, if it does, it's going to be a great thing if it's effective. Otherwise, a specific custom-made vaccine that addresses this particular virus is going to take a while. So he said, this will come to the United States. The Center for Disease Control yesterday, director said, it's not a matter of if, it is a matter of when. And encouraged schools and businesses to figure out how to conduct themselves without meeting in person. So can we meet uh, across the internet? Yes, we can. Can, can we have virtual meetings? Yes, we can. Uh, we can do these sorts of things, but we need to figure out how we're going to manage things during that time when we should be limiting contact. Uh, so when you see an economy that goes through this, I can tell you one of the things that we look at as, as, uh, that economists look at uh, in the wintertime uh, that we've discussed is the severity of the winter. Why would an economist care about the severity of the winter? Because in a severe winter, historically, people stay inside. They don't go out. They don't, the commerce slows. I'm not going to want to go to an airport. I'm going to stay put. If I need to be on CNBC, they're going to need to pipe me in from somewhere. We will be able to take care of our clients' needs. We, uh, in Washington, have an advantage there because after 9-11, we have a, had a plan in place to be able to do everything remotely, and we can do it in a matter of minutes. Uh, we, can, we can run our company without being in the same office. We have backups and computer files, and you can imagine the cybersecurity that we have to, uh, the level that we have to meet uh, when we manage the money that we do at Farm Miller in Washington. So, ladies and gentlemen, uh, this market looks like it needs to reprice. This market needs to reprice for a significant and prolonged interruption in the supply chain, uh, and indeed for a, uh, a, certainly in my opinion, a recession in China, in Asia, and the world's second largest economy. If the second largest economy goes into recession, we will all feel it. Will we go into recession in the United States? Maybe. Maybe. We've been through recessions before. We've been through global slowdowns before. We haven't been through anything like this in quite a while. We're doing all of this in a political season, and it's going to change the political landscape. We're going to talk about that with Dan Mahaffey very shortly. And then uh, the far-cast fan favorite, Jack Perugian, is going to be with us for segment three. Jack has been absolutely prescient on markets and their direction and what to expect in a way none other has, really. Um, so we're going to hear what Jack has to say and get his advice on how to endure here. So be prepared for something that's going to take a while. Think about a flu season that's two to three times worse than any other flu season. And uh, know that we will all get through. The economy and the republic will endure.
It's going to stink for a while, but get yourselves ready. Here we go. And um, we are watching all of this, managing this risk as best as we are absolutely able at Farm Miller in Washington. So we are working hard on portfolios. We are eschewing risk as we have advised you to be doing for a long time. Um, but, you know, the middle of the hurricane is no time to try and go up and patch the roof, folks. Middle of the hurricane is no time to go up and patch the roof. We've been fortifying our roofs. Um, there still may be some time to do some patching before this storm really starts to howl. Take those steps now if you need to talk with us, if you want to hear more what we have to think about this and more of the insights from all of the people that I'm able to talk to. Uh, have uh, dinner tonight, tomorrow night with Lizanne Saunders, uh, who is chief chat strategist from Schwab. Uh, I'm very privileged to be able to talk to some of the most senior uh, thought leaders around the country and indeed around the globe. Uh, we share those thoughts with you on the forecast and we bring all of that information and those resources to bear on our portfolios at Farr Miller and Washington. So as ever, uh, I am steady as she goes, but I do feel like the ship's captain ready to uh, take my ship through yet another storm. I'm going to skirt as much of it as I possibly can, but I can't avoid these waves. I'm going to take them head on. I know how to do this. It's not a lot of fun. I'm going to have some, uh, I'm going to try and pass out the Dramamine early, Harry. Uh, we don't want, uh, we don't want, uh, we don't want people getting too seasick here, but uh, I see this storm coming and I don't see a way around it. When we come back on the forecast, Dan Mahaffey is going to tell us whether he was taking Dramamine last night as he watched the Democratic debates yet again. Uh, I took a little bit of Dramamine, uh, and after I, a little bit, I'll tell you, it just made me sleepy and I went to bed. Uh, not, not a bad ending for Democratic debates all in all. We'll be right back on the forecast. Please stay with us. Thank you for joining us on The Farcast. I'm Harry Jennings, producer for the show. We love bringing you the show every week and bringing you a deeper look at what moves the economic and investing landscape. We also produce a daily podcast, The Farcast 3-Minute Morning Brief. Each morning the U.S. markets are open, we bring you just the numbers that you need. Markets, headlines, commodities, and futures, all in the time it takes to brew a cup of coffee. Subscribe for free on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your favorite podcast platform and get a head start on the markets every day. And now, back to Michael Farr and the Farcast. Welcome back to the Farcast, and now here's your host, Michael Farr. Welcome back to the Farcast. I am Michael Farr. Thanks so much for joining us again as we're discussing coronavirus and the democratic debates and what we can think about the economy, Wall Street, Washington, and the world, as we do on the forecast. We are joined by our senior political analyst, Dan Mahaffey, from the Center for the Study of the Presidency and Congress. He is the senior policy analyst for the Center and a Washington's insider insider, one of the smartest guys we ever get to talk to. Welcome back, Dan. Good to be back. Thank you for having me, Michael. Uh, any signs of the coronavirus yet, uh, personally or over there at the center? Uh, none personally, although I think uh, 
as we'll discuss later, I think both on a, a personal and corporate level, starting to think through your preparedness and your plans for, for response should this get closer. Uh, I think that that is actually a, a salient point that we're going to have to we're going to have to pursue that. Uh, let's go uh, first, Dan, to the debates last night. Uh, yes. It was uh, it it boy it, a tough one to watch with everybody talking over everybody else, and uh, didn't seem like the moderators were able to control much of anything. Tough one to watch. I think uh, you feel sorry for the moderators because, you know, this is the Thunderdome debate where uh, <laughs> candidates have to break out for survival's sake because uh, if they don't start to get momentum through South Carolina and Super Tuesday for some of them, the writing's on the wall once they look at the bank account uh, numbers. And who so won? I think, who won I think uh, President Trump won. Um, <laughs> Bernie, Bernie probably won by the fact that even though people were coming at him, it was like little kids playing soccer. Um, so there was no real coherent take down the front runner approach. Um, you know, I think Warren continues to have her own solid uh, base of support among progressives. But man, by, uh, Sanders has really consolidated his support. His movement remains strong since 2016. And Biden's last gasp is going to be South Carolina. And I don't know if that debate performance was enough to show that he's still got enough fight in the tank. And uh, so this debate, they asked him last night, you know, if you don't win South Carolina, will you withdraw? And of course, he wouldn't answer that and just kept saying he was going to win South Carolina. Does Bernie win South Carolina? I think Bernie makes it very close. I don't I don't think he necessarily wins it based on this polling. But Super Tuesday starts to look good for him, and it, it, it gets wonky because you get into the math. But Sanders looks to do well in some states where he could be the only one above the 15 percent threshold if others don't start to drop out and we don't start to see consolidation. Uh, the Washington Post did not even mention Amy Klobuchar or Pete Buttigieg in their analysis of winners and losers. Uh, did they were should they have been uh, on the stage last night? Are they still in this? I mean, Pete Buttigieg pretty much as uh, was was leading, um, you know, prior to the last primary. Uh, mm -hmm. I mean, he he didn't. It seemed early to count him out, but the post yeah, just seemed, wanted to count him out. I think the post wants to count him out. I think it's it's just a matter of at a certain point the he was not able to overcome the questions about expertise and outreach to minority communities. Um, and he's, uh, for all the money he was able to raise earlier in the year, uh, Super Tuesday is looking pretty expensive for him as well, Klobuchar as well. I think the, the challenge for them is both with Bloomberg uh, as well as the uh, kerfuffle, uh, snafu, whatever you want to call it in Iowa, their momentum coming out of uh, New Hampshire and Iowa, both Buttigieg and Klobuchar, uh, has been stomped on, along with the fact that they seem to be competing in much of the same uh, political space. Mm -hmm. um, so as we m move on, uh, Bloomberg remains uh, a viable candidate here. Will his money win out over time? I think certainly it gives him the resources to stay in and keep going and try and make Super Tuesday competitive. Uh, but it's, again, he just, uh, you know, Warren has done a pretty good job of attacking him for uh, for being too conservative, for having some positions on 
uh, on the NDAs on sexual harassment that I think uh, resonate with some of her supporters as well. It's it's just messy. And Bernie again has the cleanest uh, pathway. That's that's the challenge for the others right now is that they have to disrupt Bernie's momentum, and he's got that advantage. So uh, if, if, if you are handicapping it now, do you tell us that Bernie Sanders will be the Democratic uh, nominee for president of the United States? I will tell you right now that he will enter the Democratic convention with the most delegates. Whether that's enough to win the nomination, we'll see. And in a Bernie Sanders-Donald Trump uh, election, um, how, does that, how does that play out? And does Bernie Sanders stand a chance in that election? I think he does. I think it's also interesting, you know, the rumors of uh, yesterday's Bob Iger retirement, uh, if we're supposed to read any tea leaves uh, into his changing positions, if, if it is a Sanders-Trump uh, race. But I think that's just that's rumor mongering. Um, no, I think by, uh, Bernie Sanders does stand a chance, but it, it, it involves some some awful big assumptions on bringing Republican voters, bringing white-collar voters back into the Democratic Party and not worrying too much about losing the uh, suburban-educated voters who have come into the party. So it's interesting math for the, for the Bernie path to, to, to win. You have suggested before that uh, your prediction is still that Donald Trump will be the president of the United States uh, come uh, January, uh, February 2021. I do. I still stand by the the advantages he has in the Electoral College. Um, I think we're going to need to see some more data about what the coalition looks like on on Super Tuesday, who's who's turning out to vote in the Democratic primary. Uh, but he has that advantage and he has the the economic advantage, although we'll have to see how uh, coronavirus shapes this. They said uh, Pete Buttigieg suggested last night that Bernie Sanders would be so polarizing that he feared that Democrats could lose the House, uh, the Senate, and the White House altogether. Uh, mm -hmm. Odds of that actually happening? I think that uh, I think that becomes lower given that uh, Democrats, you know, no matter who will be on the top of the ticket, have done a, a good job of of trying to. Uh, relate to local issues like healthcare, infrastructure, things of that nature. Uh, that said, though, uh, Sanders versus Trump is also probably going to be an extremely high turnout election, and that also throws this model into the down ballot races into a, into a bit more confusion as well. So I don't I don't think it's as likely as the mayor says, but it is something Democrats should be concerned about. Uh, so let's switch now to coronavirus. From the perspective of the center of the study uh, of uh, the presidency in Congress, and when you look at policy, how does coronavirus uh, influence what's going on on Capitol Hill? How does it change this election? And I saw a criticism this morning suggesting that uh, the Trump administration is trying to downplay the severity of this um, virus and not not make people too worried about it. Indeed, Larry Kudlow was on TV just before I was yesterday. Uh, I was discussing what Larry had said, uh, sort of saying that uh, this was a buying opportunity and don't worry about a thing. What's mm -hmm. the risk of that, and what do you make of that at the Center for the Study of the Presidency in Congress? Well, uh, certainly for any, any instance like this, one, it's a reminder that uh, no matter what branch of office you're in, that there are these external crises that come that are out, outside your control. 
and, and how you respond to them is a matter of preparedness and interagency coordination, as well as providing the public with factual and the providing the public with the information that's factual and that they need uh, at that time. Uh, what, what we're seeing now, of course, is the, the beginning of these processes where you have agencies like the CDC, border protection and screening, all ramping up to, to address this along with uh, how you work with state and local and tribal public health uh, officials. That said, though, the, the administration faces the challenge of uh, certainly in Congress where there's already skepticism about their budget and its cuts to CDC uh, screening uh, and prevention uh, also concerns that, uh, like you said, this criticism that the president is downplaying this because it is a, uh, a concern it would it would tarnish his economic record or or perhaps as you say uh, it, it creates this threat of a slowdown going into his reelection um, and he doesn't uh, doesn't want to to see that happen and I think that it, that will become a competing pressure for when it comes time to get that information out to the public and actually begin I think to have. Uh, people and, and perhaps to your listeners begin to think through some of the steps they should be taking in their personal lives as well as their uh, planning for uh, corporate uh, interruption, contingency planning, things like that. If we think of a twice or thrice severe uh, flu season, uh, that's probably the right way to think about it. What would you do if you knew that flu season was going to be three times as severe? Mm -hmm. Uh, well, I, I, those I, are the precautions you need to take. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I think beginning to have the plan of, you know, what do you need at home for sustenance and sanity uh, if you're forced to stay home for two or three weeks? What are foods, medications, pet food, uh, family, you know, family who you would want to be with or perhaps avoid uh, if you had to be quarantined with them? Um, I have an avoid list. Yeah, I definitely yeah. have an avoid list. Yeah. But but then also think through to, uh, you know, if you are running a business, what are your contingency plans? Who can telework? What can be done remotely? Uh, what meetings can be done without travel? I think this is the point where, you know, Eisenhower always said plans are useless, but planning is essential. I, I think regardless of the message you're getting from government, this is the time where, where we can all show a, a, a little personal responsibility and start planning for our homes and businesses. Uh, we're at the end of this segment, Dan. Thank you so much. I'll give you one piece of Michael Farr advice that I have offered for years, which is I can always apologize for being overly cautious. I can always yes. apologize for being overly cautious. Uh, I can never apologize, in my opinion, for saying, oops, I wish I'd taken that more seriously. Much easier to say, I, you know, uh, yes, yes, Dad, I got on the plane when I heard you were having chest pains. I'm glad it was indigestion. Uh, yes. I'm sorry. I, I overreacted. Uh, I can't underreact and say, geez, Dad, I'm sorry. I didn't take the chest pain seriously. So, uh, Dan, next week uh, we will try and figure out a little bit more uh, mm -hmm. about what's going on with the Democrats, with the president, with Washington, and see if we can make some sense of it for our investors on the Farcast. Ladies and gentlemen, Jack Berugian, when we come back, the prescient Jack Berugian will be right back. Please stay with us on the Farcast. Thank you for joining us this week on the Farcast. If you would be interested in Michael Farr delivering a presentation at your upcoming event or seminar, we are booking now for 2020, and I'd be happy to work with you on potential dates. 
please contact me, Harry Jennings, at hjennings at farmiller.com or give me a call at 202-530-5608. You can watch Michael's recent presentation at the University of Delaware's annual Economic Forecast on Facebook. Go to the Lerner College Facebook page, that's L-E-R-N-E-R, -E and scroll down to videos. Michael's presentation begins at about the 45-minute mark. And now, back to Michael Farr and the Farcast. Thank you for joining us on the Farcast. And now, back to your host, Michael Farr. Welcome back to the Farcast. I am Michael Farr. Thanks so much for joining us again this week as we discuss the Democratic debates, coronavirus, the presidential response, everything that's going on. But now, ladies and gentlemen, we are joined by a huge fan favorite from Chicago, the great, uh, the prescient Jack Berugian. Uh, welcome back, Jack, to the Farcast. Oh, my pleasure, Michael. You know how much I, I really enjoy this. Well, Jack and I have been friends for probably more years than either of us care to actually admit. But uh, ladies and gentlemen, you Farcast listeners know that Jack called this market, has called this market right for the past 24 months, absolutely nailed it, suggested that we might peak somewhere in the first quarter and have a bit of a pullback. I'm not sure how he knew about coronavirus uh, back in November. Uh, I don't know if we can get him to admit it to us, but uh, we've been talking about coronavirus and the spread and the supply chain issue this morning. And the one thing that I want to open, Jack, uh, it with is that I think that markets, I look at markets as pricing mechanisms. I believe uh, certainly in free markets, but I also believe that the market price will be the right price. I believe in efficient markets. Markets have not priced in the risk from coronavirus. They have not priced in the depth of this supply chain disruption. And so I believe that they have lower to go. It's not a bottomless pit. I think we'll reach a level, and uh, but I think you've got to be careful about buying early. But we want to hear from you, Jack. Tell us what you think is going on. Well, you know, I think you you hit the nail on the head when you said that that you don't know people don't know what's going on. Um, you and I know whenever there is any confusion, when when markets are perplexed, they run for the hills. You know, we we, we yes. run for safe haven assets. We run for things that because we don't know. Now, looking back on this, uh, and 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 again, thank you for the very kind remarks. A lot of it was more timing than anything else. Did I see coronavirus? Of course not. Uh, you know, nobody did. This the coronavirus was. To, to steal a Nassim Taleb term, the black swan. Yes. It was the black swan event that came from nowhere, from left field. And what it did is it really caught the market off sides. When we talk to hedge fund managers, when you and I talk to the traders on the street, people yes. are levered up. Yes. Going into this situation, they were they had more leverage on than I think than I had ever seen. There was way too much optimism. In fact, I think it was about three or four weeks ago, I put out a tweet where there was a famous uh, a big hedge fund manager. I won't mention him by name. If anybody wants to go and see who it is, you can see it at my Twitter handle. It's at Jack Perugin. But I said I, he became bullish at 3,300, the same person who got bearish at 2,300. And I thought to myself, warning, Will Robinson, this is yeah. not good. And, and I got to tell you, I got to tell you a cash, quick art passion story. Uh, I was on the floor uh, to do CNBC. This was probably three years ago. And I was on with some hot hedge fund manager 
and I talked to Cash, and I was was visiting with him, you know, old friend of mine and yours, I know. And he said, so what are you doing today? I said, they've got me on with this hot hedge fund guy, and I'm supposed to be talking about, you know, something or other. And he said, he said, oh, he says, yeah. He says, do you remember that really hot hedge fund guy from seven, seven or eight years ago? I said, no. He said, exactly. Neither do I. That's right. <laughs> None of them are around. They all get hot for a couple of years, and then you never hear about them again. I love that from Cashman. I thought, you remember that guy from Texas? No. No, that's right. You don't. You're not going to either. Oh, Arthur is a very is a very wise man. Hopefully, by the way, he's recovering. I know he just had a car accident, so hopefully he is, he's, uh, he's doing well. But but there's something going on here, though, Mike. We've seen, we're looking at supply chains that have seized. We're, yes. we're looking, this is, this could be a lot uglier than people think. Now we're looking at a situation where we might lose a couple of quarters. And yes. if we do lose a couple of quarters in earnings, how do we reprice this market? How do we reprice expectations? How do we reprice the multiple? All of which leaves us a little bewildered and perplexed. And thus, what do we do? We buy bonds. And that bond market is telling us that it could be uglier than we think. You know, one of the lines that I love from an old bond manager years ago, I used to, I was an institutional bond salesman. That was my job. Uh, I'm sure they have a more sophisticated title now, uh, but that's what I was. I was an institutional bond salesman, and one old bond manager has told me, taught me the rule that if you can't be right, be liquid, that's uh, right. which is an old rule in our business. This one, though, uh, Jack, you and I are uh, two reasonably old, experienced hands, and we're saying something different this time. We're saying something we don't say out loud a lot of the time. I mean, this is a this is a pretty good warning from the two of us that this looks to be perhaps more severe than people are expecting. How much more severe? Yeah. Let's see. It, it, the problem is that none of us know. And for somebody to come out and say they don't know exactly what it's going to cost the, the government, what it's going to cost the market, I think is, is pure speculation. But I guess I, I'm, I'm going to really simplify it. When market conditions get crazy, usually my, my wife, who is a nurse, who's a medical professional, comes to me and says, should I be scared? And I usually will say no, or if, if it calls for it, I'll say yes. But usually when I see something like this happen, I will turn to her and I will say, should I be scared? Well, during SARS, during other epidemics, she said no. This is the one where it was a little different. She said, yes, be huh. careful about this one. Be aware about this one. If it starts to spread, who knows what can happen? It, it, it's, it's, that actually alerted me a little bit more than anything else. When, when my wife starts to get worried, I start to get worried. And, and, and especially when we're talking about and, – and again, she's, she's not a, a professor – she is. She's a wonderful nurse of 30 years, and I got to tell you, um, her gut instinct on things like this is probably better than mine, and I would go with it. But yep. again, the uncertainty, Michael, is really what worries me, and and that's why we're not going to see a V-shaped recovery this time. At least that's my opinion. Uh, that is also my opinion. The CDC has suggested to businesses and to schools that they figure out how they're going to manage through. A, a more serious sort of a quarantine, uh, whether it's imposed or whether it's recommended, uh, sort of a world. Um, we have to figure out that as a business. But, Jack, if you think about a something of a quarantine environment in the United States, however we get there, what does that do uh, in an e-commerce world? What sort of breaks does that apply? 
I think, well, first of all, first of all, we'd have to discount a lot. And, and more than likely, if that were the case, we'd probably see a 25% repricing of the market from highs. We're yeah. probably somewhere in the 8% range right now. Um, I, I could see that happening very quickly. So if we're looking at, at what it's going to mean for the economy, I think you, you can't expect anything good unless you're long bonds or you're long gold, because these are the, the safe haven assets people are running for. But but my other way it feels right now, it feels like we've seen the high for the year, and now it's really more a question of how ugly it gets. And you know, I, I would look for for this market to probably reprice around that 20 to 25 percent off of these moves, and then depending on what happens with the election, um, be careful. If we see you know Sanders starting to pick up in the polls, um, we could see another 25 percent just off of that. Uh, you know, that's that's my real concern. Uh, you don't see me or hear me get bearish very often. All right? I am very concerned and I am fully defensive in my portfolio as of this talk right now we are having. Let's talk about that, uh, Jack. Let's talk about how you get defensive. Now, uh, Jack, uh, and, and you and I uh, know how careful we both are when we're talking to Fred and Ethel, who are listening to us. Uh, and we're, we're saying some fairly serious things here today. Um, and, and as I said earlier, I can always apologize for being overly cautious. I'm happy to miss opportunity, but I never want to step in front of a train, you know. Uh, so uh, as we talk to Fred and Ethel, let's give them some advice because they're thinking about what they should be doing to their 401ks. Oh, you know what? If you're in your 401k and you're really in there for the long term, it's very difficult to really manage that. You don't want it's hard to it's hard to trade that unless you can just liquidate it, stay in cash, go into a money market until uh, you know until the dust the dust settles a little bit. Uh, for me, you know what? Sometimes cash is king, and yes. this is one of those times over the course of the next few months. And look, it, you know what? Uh, you know. It, we have an old saying on the floors of the exchange. You've got you got bulls, you got you got bears, and you got hogs. And hogs get slaughtered. All right, hogs get slaughtered. And, and right, we saw a thirty plus percent year last year in some cases, in some stocks. Some cases it was even more. You saw a nice run in the beginning of this year. You know what that is? Those are those are once in a lifetime gains. All right, so people should not be afraid to, to take money off the table. And again, if if you miss take five or 10% to the upside, which might happen, that's okay, all right? Because it's called capital preservation. Uh, it's called you know making sure that, that you're out there and you're monetizing your profits. Um, so again, there are times where cash is king. This is one of those times. Uh, and I think keeping your powder dry, and if we do see those dips come in the market, like I said, they're gonna be fast, they're gonna be vicious, and when they're there, hopefully, you'll be in cash in positions to be able to buy stocks at cheap discounts. And that's precisely what I'm looking for. Mohammed El-Larian uh, yesterday suggested that you should, that investors should be very careful about buying these dips, hold off uh, on that urge to buy these dips. I think we're going back to those portfolio managers and analysts, uh, the ages of your children and my children who haven't seen this before. Uh, how do you what would what advice do you give to those new professionals out there? And we understand that cash is king. How do they talk to their clients? What messages do they give? I mean, how do you talk to uh, that cohort and suggest, look, folks, this is going to be ugly. We still have long-term goals, uh, and here's when and we do have a plan. 
Well, in, in many cases, what I try to do is I explain to them how the markets just psychologically act. Remember, they take that, that escalator up very, very slowly and then the elevator down very quickly. And what you want to do is make sure that you, you capture, if, if you're going to be trading that volatility, you want to capture it. Um, what I tell professionals is that they have got to start using the instruments that are out there at their fingertips. If they're going to be a hedge fund, they've got to learn how to be a hedge fund. So there are times <laughs> where you have to you have to learn how to sell rallies. That's a very difficult thing to do. It's a hard thing to embrace, but you and I understand the need, the importance of that. There yes. are times where the market calls for selling strength over the course of, say, six to eight months, maybe longer, depending on how the endurance and duration of all this is. But this is we're entering one of those periods now, Michael. So what I tell professionals is don't be looking to buy dips. Look to sell rallies. Once we get down to 25, 30 percent, once you see capitulation, once you see the rest of the world do exactly the opposite of what I saw happening a few weeks ago, where the euphoria was taking hold of everybody that came on TV. When you see that dissipate, when everybody comes on bearish and we see another one of these big blow-off days to the downside, that's when you start to put money to work. I have suggested, and I suggested on CNBC when I was on two weeks ago or three weeks ago, I said this coronavirus and this supply chain disruption raises the risk of recession in this country. And uh, Scott Wapner started getting tweets saying, what is he saying? Why did he say that? And the other folks on the desk started just, you know, giving me all sorts of hell. And I said, you know, guys, you don't hear me say this kind of stuff very much. I am seeing something that I have not seen almost ever. Uh, yeah. This is a game changer. And, and you know, when I don't know what's going on, I, I, I sit very close, very still in my chair. I hang on to my cash. And I try and figure out what I'm going to do just to stay in the game. The guy with the guy who's still playing with his tinker toys at the end of a market like this is the guy that wins, in my opinion. Well, it's it's called capital preservation at times, and that's yes. really I think. And we've entered a period where that should be the motto for people that are actually managing money. This is not a time to be a hero. This is right. this is a right. time to make sure that you're around to be able to invest over the course of the next five years. These are the times that blow hedge funds out. And that's yes. one of the things that we have to be very, very careful of when we start to see an acceleration of, of selling. Because, again, we're looking at a very leveraged hedge fund community. And, and at any given time, we could see another 1% or 2% of the downside very quickly. Yes. Ladies and gentlemen, Jack Berugian, a favorite on CNBC, a favorite in the media, and a favorite among investors, not only from the forecast, but pretty much everywhere. If you've wanted to listen to one guy over a lot of years, I'm going to tell you it's Jack Perugian. He's one of those I listen to. Uh, I take that television off of mute every time I see Jack on television. I would encourage you to do the same thing. Lots of wisdom here that can actually help your pocketbooks a great deal. Not a lot of guys like that out there on television. <laughs> Jack, thanks so much for joining us on the Farcast. Ladies and gentlemen, we're going to be back next week. Uh, we may be back for an interim if markets demand, but know that we are watching minute by minute. We are preparing. We are getting ready as best as we're able to endure something that looks like it's going to be rough. If we're wrong about the roughness, and we don't think we're going to be, but if we are, we'll apologize for being overly cautious. I can do that, and I'll still have a lot of cash and a lot of money uh, ready to go back in. I can't apologize for taking undue risk, and I won't do that to you. We're here 
to pursue and protect and defend your interests. Wall Street, Washington, and the world on the forecast in Washington, D.C., I'm Michael Farr. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of The Farcast, and a special thanks to Michael's guests, Dan Mahaffey and Jack Berugian. The Farcast is produced by Michael Farr and Harry Jennings and is available for free on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and all other major podcast platforms. Please subscribe and share with a friend. We'd love to hear from you. You can reach us at farcast at farmiller.com. Let us know your thoughts on the show, questions you may have, and what you'd like to hear as we continue Season 3. We would like to remind you that the Farcast podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be considered legal or financial advice. Any mention of a specific security should not be construed as a recommendation to buy or sell. And please be aware that past performance is not a guide to the future performance of any index fund, manager, or strategy. Before you make any investment decision, we strongly recommend you consult with a financial professional to determine what may be best for your individual needs and and your goals. And if we can be of assistance at Farm Miller in Washington, please reach out to us at hjennings at farmiller.com. And I'll be happy to put you in touch with one of our investment professionals to help guide you through the process. We'll be back with you next week. Go beyond the headlines every week with the Farcast. Wall Street. Washington, and the world.